Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hot Spice Show. As always, I'm your host, JC Calavita, a.k.a. Hot Spice. This week, I'll give my preview of the American League and how October will play out for the junior circuit. Today, we also have an interview with Ben Spadea. He's a senior relief pitcher for the Cairn University Highlanders baseball team of the Colonial States Athletic Conference. And he's here to talk pitching at the collegiate level and what it takes to succeed. And to end the show, we have a player of the week who lived a double life. All right, let's get into it. Coming in first place in the AL East, I have the Toronto Blue Jays. You guys know I've talked about them a lot on this show. Toronto made a huge move this offseason in signing George Springer. He's a top five center fielder in the league and will be a perfect fit for this clubhouse. I also like the signing of Marcus Simeon. He'll go great with the young talent they have in Bobachet, Kevin Biggio, and Vlad Guerrero Jr., who will spark that heart of the lineup this year. See, Oscar Hernandez was also a really nice surprise. He had 16 homers in 60 games. I think I've said that a lot this on this podcast, but I, I, it's just something that's really cool to me, and I wonder what production he can bring to a full 162-game season. Young Jin Ryu leads this rotation. He's been at the top three in Cy Young voting for the past two seasons. And I see no reason why he can't continue that. Ricky Nate Pearson should be a solid number two starter, and if Robbie Ray, Stephen Matz, and Tanner Roark can have, like, you know, middle-of-the-road seasons... I don't see why the Blue Jays can't win the ALEs for the first time since 2015. Now, in the second place, I have the Yankees. On paper, the Yankees have a great team. You know, they have Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and DJ LeMayhew. But these guys have all been injury-prone, especially Judge and Stanton. Judge has sustained calf problems and pectoral issues in just the last year alone. And Stanton only played 18 games in 2019 and then half the season in 2020. And... Gary Sanchez, not to mention him, but he's had three terrible campaigns. He's a two-time All-Star, and he did make the team in 2019, but his batting average over the last three years is right on that Mendoza line. And looking at his spring training stats so far, I really don't like much hope for him. He's hitting 194 with 11 strikeouts through 13 games, and I just don't know if he can continue this. I do like their rotation, though. I think they got the Cy Young favorite in Garrett Cole and pretty solid members of that rotation, like Jordan Montgomery, Corey Kluber, who could come back to his Indians form. We don't know. And also Jamison Talon. Garrett Cole has been about the best pitcher in baseball for the last couple of years. I don't really expect that to change. In third place, I have the defending American League champs, the Rays. The Rays lost Blake Snell, and I think that's going to set them back a lot. They do have Tyler Glass now. I love his stuff. He has great spin rate on his fastball and a devastating curveball that just gets hitters every time. He makes his speeds very well. But I also like Rich Hill. He's still kicking around at age 41. Even though his fastball tops out at 89, he uses it a lot, but he hits his spots. And his curveball is so big and looping that it just makes his speeds beautifully. Maybe if Chris Archer, you know, coming back to Tampa can revive his career, he'd be just a, he'd be like the third Pirates pitcher to find his stride somewhere else. I do think they can make a playoff push, but I really wouldn't see that. They do have Randy Rosarena, who was the star of the playoffs and probably the favorite for the rookie of the year right now. But again, I just don't see them competing with the Blue Jays or the Yankees this year. I think the loss of Blake Snell was too much, and I think your bullpen can only carry you so far. The Red Sox and the Orioles are both in rebuilding modes. The Sox have been unloading talent the last couple of years. They traded Mookie Betts to the Dodgers last offseason, and they shipped Andrew Benintendi off to Kansas City and let Jackie Bradley Jr. walk and go to Milwaukee. They do have some strong hitters in that lineup still, like J.D. Martinez and Rafael Devers, but when your aces had water Rodriguez, you're going to have a tough season. 
the Baltimore Orioles are still suffering for that huge mistake they made when signing Chris Davis, that massive contract. But I do think they could improve shortly. They have a great catching prospect in Adley Rutschman, so I think the future could be bright. Right now, their best player is Trey Mancini. He'll be their team all-star by default because, you know, every team has to have at least one all-star. And when your rotation is with washed-up guys like Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey, who, you know, were stars in, like, 2012, 2014, maybe, eh, you know, what are you going to do at this point? I think the Jays win the division here with a late-season resurgence. I think the Yankees start off hot, but the Yankees will take that first wild-card spot as they prepare for a deep playoff run. Okay, let's move on to the AL Central. In first place, I have the White Sox. Again, just like the Blue Jays, I've talked a lot about the White Sox. I believe they have one of, if not the most stacked lineup in the league. They have reigning MVP in Jose Abreu and arguably the most exciting player in the league in Tim Anderson. Their young talent in Yo Moncada, Nick Madrigal, and Elo Jimenez rival that of even the Blue Jays with their rising stars. Not to mention they welcomed Adam Eaton back, who will play a great role in the clubhouse. Their rotation is spearheaded by my Cy Young pick and Lucas Giolito. His coming out party was in 2019, when he, and he followed that up with a 2020 campaign that was superb. Look for him to emerge as a top pitcher in baseball. Dallas Keuchel and Lance Lynn will also be in that rotation to complement Giolito. And I believe the signing of the offseason was Liam Hendricks. They, have, they solidified that ninth inning, and I think they can capture their first division crown since 2008. Now, the Minnesota Twins, that 22 consecutive playoff losing streak will continue. I just don't think they'll get in this year. The Twinkies have definitely taken a step back. They do have Nelson Cruz, who's 41 now, and he only seems to get better with age. They also have former MVP Josh Donaldson, and he should be a driving force why they could make it back to the playoffs. They also have two really good defensive players in center fielder Byron Buxton and shortstop Angelton Simmons, who I think is the best defensive shortstop in the league. So they do. the defense does win championships, but like I just don't see the Twins making it that far. They do have a pretty good rotation with Kenta Maeda, and if it wasn't for Shane Bieber's great season, he has the sign on award. They also have a healthy Jose Barrios, who had a little bit of a down year last season, but I think they can make it work. The bottom three teams in the Indians, Royals, and Tigers, you know, there's not really much to say about them. The Indians have two great pitchers in Shane Bieber, who is the Cy Young, and also Zach Plesak. They also have some key pieces like Jose Ramirez and Framel Reyes, but without a quality third starter, I think the Indians are definitely sellers at the deadline. Their 72-year World Series drought will continue for the foreseeable future. Kansas City and Detroit also don't have that much to look forward to. The Royals only have Whit Merrifield and maybe Andrew Benintendi if he can return to his old form, but I really don't think I need to comment on their mediocrity. I've also talked about the Tigers a little bit on this show. I think they're going to be in last place in this division. The only thing they can really look forward to this year is the rise of Casey Mize, who he should patent that. He'll win Rookie of the Year, most likely. And their beloved Miguel Cabrera reaching 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. Other than that, good luck watching your team this year, Tigers fans. It's going to be brutal. In the AL West, I got the Angels winning the division. I think this could be the year that the Angels finally give Mike Trout a chance at winning the championship. He's 30. Let that sink in. He's 30. They've wasted the first part of his career. So I think they got to step up this year. They have Anthony Rendon, who's a great third baseman and an emerging star in Shohei Otani, who I expect to do well on the mound and at the plate. Speaking of pitching, I love that the Angels will have Dylan Bundy as their opening day starter. They also have solid arms like Jose Quintana and Alex Cobb that are a little bit later in the rotation. I think they can get them into the postseason and win their first division crown since 2014. Now, I think the A's are going to come in second and claim that second wild card spot. 
a lot of experts wrote the A's off this season. They did lose key pieces in Liam Hendricks, Chris Davis, and Marcus Simeon. But you can't underestimate the A's. They're always on a budget, but somehow they always make the playoffs. I've talked about Matt Chapman, and I think he's going to win the MVP if he stays healthy, cuts on all those strikeouts. And I love the addition of Elvis Andrews. It seems as he's, it seems as, it seems as if he's been in the league forever, but he's only 32. He had a down season last year, but has remained very productive for virtually his whole career. I can't wait to see what his veteran presence will do for the team. They also have Sean Vanai and Chris Bassett spearheading their rotation, and I think they could propel them to a wildcard berth. I have the Astros in third place. They do have talent in Altuve, Correa, and Bregman, but they lost George Springer, who was a huge part of that World Series run, winning the MVP. I just see this as a down year for the team. Justin Verlander is coming off of Tommy John surgery and won't pitch this year, and I don't know if Zach Greinke and Lance McCullers can pick up the slack. They're both talented pitchers, but I just think this is going to be a bad year for Houston. I could be wrong, but I just don't see them doing well this year. In fourth place, I have the Mariners. They could be on an upward trend. They've been the laughingstock of the division for nearly two decades now. They own the longest postseason drought in North American sports at 19 seasons and counting. They do have some bright spots. Kyle Lewis took home that Rookie of the Year award unanimously in 2020, and he should build off that success this season. Seattle also has two Gold Glove Award winners in J.P. Crawford and Evan White, but I do think they need time for their young talent to develop in the minors. In a few years, the Mariners could be really, really good. In last place, I have the Rangers. And honestly, they only have two main guys that I'm going to talk about. And Joey Gallo, he is a great power hitter, but he's an underrated defender in the outfield. And I really like that. But again, the Rangers aren't going to be good. They do have a solid young star in Leody Tavares. The 22-year-old Dominican showed signs of promise in 2020, and that should carry over into this season. But the main problem with the Rangers is their pitching rotation. And I think they're going to be the worst in the league. And this could be a tanking year for Texas, but they have shown that they can make a quick turnaround from year to year. All right, so this is what I think the playoffs are going to look like on the American League side. I think in the wild card game, the Yankees beat the A's. I think in the division series, the White Sox defeat the Angels and the Blue Jays defeat the Yankees. And in the championship series, the Blue Jays headed the World Series after defeating the White Sox. Now I'd like to welcome our guest to the show. He's a senior relief pitcher for the Cairn University Highlanders baseball team of the Colonial States Athletic Conference in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. He was a member of the Pennsbury High School Falcons team that won a Pennsylvania High School State Championship in 2017. Ben Spadeo, welcome to the Hot Spice Show. How are you, Ben? Dude, I'm doing great. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great right now, man. I'm going to start this off the same way I've started off every single interview. Give me a scouting report on yourself. I think when you're when you're... When you're seeing me on the mound, you're probably going to see you're going to see a lot of fastballs. I I like to work the fastball quite a bit. Um, I have a slider, I have a changeup, but I feel like the scouting report with me is I I work inside, so I you're gonna you're gonna have me getting in your kitchen pretty consistently. I would say. What do you top out at? So right now uh, it's actually kind of neat. I I recently had hip surgery in the fall. I tore the labrum in my hip. So right now I'm back to around the 84, 85 range. But when I was uh, fully healthy, I would throw in the mid to high 80s. I would touch 90 every now and again. What do you think sets you apart from other pitchers? I think what sets me apart from other pitchers is even if I don't have my best stuff, I'm still confident that I can get by battling you with any other means. So if my, if my breaking stuff's not working, if I'm not spotting up my fastball, I'll, I'll switch around my mechanics or I'll change something up to at least compete. So if, if I don't have my best stuff, the hitter's not out of the woods per se, because I'm still going to throw everything I have at you. I'll adjust to whatever I need to do. 
So you said you think your fastball is your most effective pitch, right? Yeah. Why do you think that is? So I'm, I'm kind of tall, kind of lanky. So the ball always, uh, I release really far in front of my body. So the ball always would come out of my hand pretty quick. And I always, uh, I'm always a big fan of just willpower. I just always thought that if I could will it past them, they couldn't touch it. Um, yeah, I've just always felt confident in it. I mean, it's, there was a long stretch where I couldn't break off an off-speed pitch to save my life. And I just kind of had to rely on the two-seam, four-seam pitch to contact. What do you pride yourself most on as a pitcher? I would say that when you, when you have me on the mound, you know that I'm completely dedicated to throwing to that, to that, to that moment. I feel like a lot of times you have pitchers to where their minds elsewhere, they're look, they're thinking about a lot of different things. Um, I think that when you get me pitching, you know that I'm always going to give everything I have. And I think that's sometimes one of my biggest crutch is sometimes it bothers me so much if I don't have a flawless outing because I just I, I care so much about the game. Let's talk about your recruiting process. So what made you pick Cairn University? Well, I, I had never even heard of Cairn until my senior year of high school. It was I had a, I had a number of schools that offered me spots, but when I met Coach Phil Schallenberger from Cairn University, he reached out to me after he saw one of my fall games. He was just really cool. He was really consistent with reaching out to me. I mean, he texted me often. He checked up with me often. And like I said, I didn't even know Karen existed. I remember getting the text, you know, Karen University. I'm like, I'm not even sure where that is or what that is. But I ended up choosing it because I went to, I went to Pensbury. It's when I went there, there was four, you know, over 4,000 students. It was very big. It was very noisy. And Karen is this tiny 1,000 person Christian school, super quiet. So I kind of chose it because I, I heard that the conference that they played in for baseball was very good. The coach really wanted me. He thought I'd be a big part of the team. And I also, I just really wanted a small, quiet environment. What other schools were you choosing between? So there were a number of schools um, that reached out to me, but the main, the main couple were uh, Penn, uh, Penn State Abington, um, the Penn State branch campuses, and Cairn were the ones that were the most prevalent in my, uh, in my recruiting. So I know that you, you, you go to school so close to home. What's that like? What's that like being so close to your family, like throughout your more formative years? That's a great question. I, you know, going to school so close, you know, I never really got away. Um, the cool part is that I've been spoiled in terms of like my parents still making my meals and stuff like that. I mean, it's nice knowing that my mom and dad can come to every single game we have, but I will say that, um, Although I am happy with where I am, it that does uh, every now and again I think about what it'd be like if I could go to school somewhere else because it, it does at times feel like an extension of high school, but um, college is entirely different. So that helps me get the college feel, I guess. What's it like playing on the same team as your brother? It's actually very cool. I've always I've always wanted him to do well. But I, I will say there were times in Little League. I mean, my brother Sam is a big power hitter. I'm a pitcher. So when we both played in Little League together and travel ball and Legion, you know, when I did hit, I was hitting, you know, seeing eye singles and doubles and Sam was just shooting the ball out of the park. So it's, I will say when I was younger, I was maybe envious at times, but I feel like now every time he comes up to the plate, I want him to hit a bomb. You know, I, I, I can say that I was really happy when I found out that he was probably going to come to my college. So 
it's actually it's actually awesome every every at bat is a uh, he's he's probably my favorite person to watch hit on our team actually that's actually that's really cool to see our brothers taking care of each other so as a senior i know your brother's a sophomore but as a senior what advice can you give to underclassmen who want to balance both school and baseball that's another good question i would tell i would tell every athlete every student athlete don't be afraid to really buy in to the baseball team from the get-go i know sometimes a lot of people are kind of hesitant they want to work their way up but i feel that buying in for me was something that i was lucky enough to do from very very early on it's really easy to manage school and baseball as long as you give effort because i know that like personally like school was never my thing um yet i got by because all you have to do is if you if you really buy in those guys will help you with schoolwork. Those guys you'll hang out with. So I would give, I would tell everybody, if you, if you buy into your team from a very early on, they'll help you with every other facet of college if, if it's the right environment. So I know that because of COVID, a lot of athletes got that fifth year of eligibility. Are you going to take advantage of that? I'm, I'm thinking about it. I feel like it all depends on how I finish this year. I have a couple other programs that I would probably need to do career-wise starting next year. So depending on how this year plays out and depending on how my uh, programs and opportunities play out will determine if I come back. I would like to, though. I would, I would love to complete that last year. Are you set to graduate on time? Yeah, so I actually have 15 more credits than I needed to. I could have probably graduated this fall, but I chose to uh, play out my senior year with my teammates playing another year of baseball. But yeah, right now I'm, I'm set to graduate with uh, more than I need to. I mean, I mean, what's your major right now? Like what, 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 what would your degree be in? So my major right now is I would graduate with a bachelor's in history and the arts with a dual minor in education and special ed. How do you plan on using that when you do find, when you do finally, you know, leave Karen? Yeah. So my goal, the, the ultimate goal for me is to work, teach or coach at the collegiate level. So I would love to be a professor. I would love to be a college coach um, or be in, in the administration some, uh, somehow. Um, I would love to coach high school right out of college. I would love to coach, teach, because I just I love reaching out to people, um, helping anyone any way that I can help them. Um, you know, if I, if I can make you better, then that's something that I'll, that I'll absolutely do my best at. So yeah, the goal is to teach and coach following graduation. So let's talk about your more your more of your pitching. So who would you credit most on the pitcher that you ultimately became? Who would I? I actually have a number of different people because I've I've thought about this before. I had I had a coach when I was because I didn't start playing baseball. I played one year of T ball. I didn't start playing baseball again until I was twelve. So I had a little league coach uh, named uh, uh, Walt Tribby, and he was super cool because I was I was not very good when I started. Um, I guess I had some of the general baseball talent, but I, I really was far from a baseball player, but coach Tribby, I'd give him credit to a lot of my confidence when I pitch, he kind of let me know, like, you're good. You know, you're just gonna have to be confident. Um, when I went to Commonwealth League and Catholic for two years, I played under, uh, coach Gosner and he always told me, you know, you, you know, you, you have the build for pitching. You're going to be good one day. Um, and of course my dad, my dad was a college pitcher. So it was always nice knowing that every time I threw, I had someone who, who was pretty good at it, who was watching as I threw. So those, 
those three guys, um, and then my current coach, my current head coach actually used to be our pitching coach. He is currently our, our head coach and he's, a uh, he's a pitching coach from Del Val. He pitched at Del Val and he, he's, um, I credit him also with a lot of my confidence. I feel like the guy, the guys that told me that I was a good pitcher, even when I wasn't doing too hot, were the people that ultimately contributed to my success. So I know your dad was very helpful in my formative years. I know I never became the greatest pitcher, but he did help me, you know, develop confidence, develop, you know, a couple of other pitches and just find the strikes when I was 12 and 13. But like, what did you work on most this off season? This past off season? Well, every, every off season, I always worked on making sure my off speed pitches were, were effective. This past off season was actually probably my hardest off season that I've had in my baseball career because uh, one year ago, on our spring break trip, I tore the labrum in my hip. I needed to get a three hour surgery this fall to repair it. So this whole off season was filled with kind of really tedious rehab, just trying to go through the motions, get, get the fastball grips back, get the mechanics back, make sure my slider is effective. But this off season was pretty much dedicated to just rehab. What are your individual goals for this season? That's another good question. I, my goal, my ultimate goal is to just win. Um, if we could, if we can make the playoffs, make it to the semifinal or the, or the championship game of the CSAC championship, that would, that would be my goal. I would, yeah, I would love to win. That's my, that's my ultimate goal. If the team does well, then, then I, then I can, you know, I'm happy. The individual goal that I kind of have, I've held on to, to challenge myself is uh, the statistic opponent batting average. Cause I knew that sometimes, sometimes you give up a blue pit. Sometimes you have a walk. Sometimes there's a really tough play. So stats are always kind of iffy in terms of being really, really truly honest about who you are as a player. Cause a lot of people look at stats and they say, Oh, I have a eight ERA. It means I'm awful. Like, no, I mean, you know, sometimes it depends on the situation, but I've, I really like the statistic opponent batting average, which is generally just how well does the other team get base hits off of you? So my, my goal was always to keep that below 200. So if we can win games, I can be there for my team and I can limit the opposing team's offensive production, then those are, those are ultimately my goals. How do you think Karen stacks up against the rest of the CSAC? I think we stack up pretty good. Um, I've been lucky enough to have the team get better each year that we brought in new players. So my, my freshman year was the best Karen team record-wise and talent-wise they ever had. And then each year we've gotten better. Um, we're in the CSAC. We have a couple of really great teams. Uh, Wilson College is great. Um, Centenary is always tough. And then, of course, we have Keystone. Keystone College has four to five players who play professional baseball and or are drafted every year. So um, we're always seeing guys throwing 90. We're always seeing guys that you know hit bombs, situationally hit, work good at bats. So we stack up well. I mean, Keystone has won the CSEC championship the past 15 years in a row. So, um, you know, any, any day that you get to compete with a team like that is really cool. If this is your last year, how will you look back at your time at Cairn? I think I'm really going to miss it because I think a lot of my, a lot of my core friends and like values came from Cairn. I think I grew a lot as a person, so I'll, I'll definitely miss it. I feel like with baseball, I can leave with my head held pretty high because I, you know, if you think of the grand scheme of college baseball, how many players get to come through and leave an impact? Um, I've had the opportunity to come to a school where 
I left my impact. You know, people remember me, whether it's for, for the way I played or my, my off the field demeanor. Um, I think I left my impact on the people around me and I can't. So I, I think I can leave pretty confident that I, I left it better than I found it. All right. I'm going to ask you three questions about baseball, like just in general, what's your favorite baseball memory? My favorite baseball memory. I have two actually that are, that are, if I can do both. Yeah. Um, my first, my first favorite memory is I didn't, obviously, I, like I said, I didn't play baseball again until I was 12 after playing one year at T-ball. And I remember everybody was hitting home runs like over the fence. And I was like, that's so cool. I remember asking my teammates, Hey, what's it like to hit a home run? Cause I had no idea. We had the summer all-star teams. And when I was 12, I got selected to one and I was beyond thrilled. Cause I was probably, you know, the last picked guy on that team. And I remember we played a tournament in New Jersey and I had never hit a home run ever. And then in the semifinal game, I hit, I went three for three with three home runs, two over the fence, one in the park for nine RBIs. And that was probably the best I've ever felt in terms of hitting. Cause I remember it was my first home run, then my second and everyone was so happy. And I was, I just love baseball. So that was my first one. And then my second favorite was, probably legion baseball we played in a very competitive legion baseball league and pensbury high school was so big that pensbury was separated into two different legion teams uh yardley marshall river sharks and the the falls uh legion um dirtbex i think is their, their team name and we used to we played falls and it was the championship games and we were chirping back and forth we were the best two teams in the league it was a really competitive league and I ended up starting the championship game and I ended up throwing six innings. We lost the game one or two, nothing, but I remember throwing six long innings. I hard fought the whole time. And even though we'd lost, it was probably my best pitching display of my, of my career so far. So those two are probably my favorite baseball moments ever. It's interesting that you didn't choose your state championship. I mean, if we're talking team, Nothing will ever top. I feel like that's such a given because I just remember like we had such an unbelievable run that in terms of like team success, I don't think I'm ever going to do anything as successful as that Pensbury run. You know, I didn't contribute a terrible amount. You know, I pitched here and there. You know, we had guys like Billy Bethel and Nick Price and Justin Ward and Ryan McCarty who just shoved every game on the mound. But they that team was so iconic that I don't, I don't think – I could ever do anything that's going to top that. What would you miss most about baseball? Uh, wow. I'm going to miss the competition. I'm going to miss putting on my cleats. I think, I think it honestly, it's just as simple as I think I'm just going to miss the game. You know, when I, when I had to get surgery, the worst part about it was I couldn't just go outside and play catch. Like I didn't realize how much I missed that until it happened. So I think what I'm going to miss most about baseball is just being able to play and it's cool because I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it until I physically can't anymore until I'm like 70. Like I'm, gonna, I'm still going to play, still going to throw, but I think I'm just going to miss competing. I'm going to miss the game. I, I, I'm a competitive person by nature, so I'm, I'm going to miss just the opportunity to play it. All right, and then your last one here is what do you love most about baseball? What do I love most about baseball? Wow. That's a great question. Um, wow. I like what I love most about baseball is that it's so diverse of a sport. 
But I feel like when you think basketball, if you think of someone who's really tall or really skilled, that's basketball or football. I feel like baseball, what I love about it is you have guys that are like super in shape, super ripped, super strong. And then you have guys like Bartolo Colon, who's just this really big, like Santa Claus looking guy. And he's just fantastic. I, I love the baseball like breeds people of all sizes and every, every size, every shape. I feel like baseball has no one size fits all. I love how diverse the game is. It's just, it's for everybody. You know, it, it's, I feel like it's, it's such a beautiful game. It's so multidimensional in a way that I don't think any other sport has. Wow, Ben. Thank you very much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Uh, best of luck in this season for you. Awesome. Thanks, JC. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Thank you. To win the show, I'd like to talk about Mo Berg. Berg was your run-of-the-mill backup catcher who played in parts of 15 seasons for the Brooklyn Robins, Cleveland Indians, Boston Red Sox, Washington Senators, and Chicago White Sox. He wasn't all that good. His war was almost negative five. He only hit six career home runs, and he only hit 243 for a career average. Mo Berg was invited, along with an MLB All-Star team, to make two trips to Japan in an effort to form a positive relationship with the nation through the game the two nations both loved. Mo Berg, however, was a lot more than just a baseball player. He was a genius. He graduated magna cum laude from Princeton and came away with a degree in modern languages. He was well-versed in seven languages, but his Jewish heritage and blue-collar background kept him on the outside looking in on the lavish lifestyles that many Princeton students lived. His greatest achievement didn't come on the baseball field. After the attacks on Pearl Harbor in 1941, Berg decided to do his part in the war effort and became a part of the Office of Strategic Services, which would eventually become the CIA. He went on to do numerous undercover missions, most of which were about Germany's potential nuclear weapons. One of his missions was to interrogate a German physicist named Werner Heisenberg. If Berg felt that Heisenberg was close to developing an atomic bomb, he would assassinate him. Berg ultimately believed that Heisenberg's findings were overstated and let him live. I just think this is a really interesting story because we all heard about big name players like Ted Williams or Joe DiMaggio or Bob Feller going overseas to fight in a war. And Mo Berg is not someone many people talk about. So I thought it would be a fun story to tell. All right, everyone, that'll just about do it for this edition of the Hot Spice Show. Thank you so much for listening. I release new episodes every Thursday. I love doing this, and I hope you all continue listening so I can keep doing this. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at J underscore Colavita12. That's J underscore C-O-L-A-V-I-T-A-12. I'd like to thank Ben Spadea for taking the time to do an interview, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I look forward to you joining me on next week's episode. One more time, I'm JC Calavita, a.k.a. Hot Spice, and this has been the Hot Spice Show. Peace, bros.